Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today is episode number 166, and today I'm joined by Gary Nowick. Now, for those that have listened to me over the years, they know that I love traveling. And last uh, Christmas period, uh, my partner, Bri, and myself had the fortune to go to South America and travel around. And one of the bucket list items that I really wanted to do was trek up Machu Picchu, do the Inca Trail in Peru. Now, when you're traveling, you have the opportunity to meet so many people from all walks of life. And uh, our tour group on this one trip was sensational. There was people from all over the globe and just really like-minded individuals. And I really hit it off with one guy named Gaza. Now, Gary was living in Melbourne, and he still is now, and um, he's a partner at KPMG uh He's lived all over the world. Anyway, when you spend four days walking with somebody that you got similar interests and so forth like that, is that I learned so much off Gary in those four days about um, his business philosophy, uh, how he's worked his way from you know starting at the bottom and now being obviously a partner of one of the biggest companies in the world. And what I loved about that was when we got back, I asked Gary if he'd love to mentor me and, and help me out with a few different things. And um, since obviously the start of the year, Gary's been helping me out with so many different things. And what I thought was all these different bits of advice and things have been great for me that they would be really beneficial for anybody because if you can improve at business, that will affect your home life, it'll affect you at school, it'll affect your relationship, it'll affect everything. And the principles that Gary believes in that has helped him get to where he are and that we speak about today are really, really beneficial and and as well as that he's lived all over the world he's done all these amazing things and, and we're going to share that in today's episode so guys sit back this is one that uh it, it, even if you're not into business or working on those things there will be something that you can take away from today's chat all righty guys we are live on location in Richmond, Australia. And Gaz, now you're not uh, an Australian, but you barrack for Richmond, mate. You come over and for non-Victorians or Australians here, the AFL is an amazing sport. And Gary, you've come over to Australia and just jumped on the bandwagon from probably one of the most successful teams in the last 10 years. Well, hang on a second. <laughs> I'm not a bandwagon jumper. So uh, when I got here in, uh, in uh, January 2016, I'm a massive sports fan. So I took the opportunity because I'm in Melbourne and Melbourne is all about footy to understand what teams were here and who I should barrack for. So the rhyme and the reason for this, and we're going to probably get to it, I spent four years in China and a partner I worked with there, he was a Richmond Tiger. So I had that. My baseball team, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. So my baseball team is the Detroit Tigers. Uh. So between the two, the two culminations, I became a Richmond Tiger in 2017. And if you recall, 2016 was a horrible season. <laughs> it was. So I wasn't a bandwagon jumper <laughs> because if I was, I'd be the only one on the, on the, on the truck there. <laughs> well, you, you obviously got into the right time. Now, one of the things you just mentioned, and we will talk about this, is uh, your love of traveling and that you have lived in everything over the world. And, and that's how we obviously met um, last end of last year, um, or started this year, on the Inca Trail in Peru, South America, uh, going to some Machu Picchu, what an amazing thing. What? How did that rate, because I love talking about traveling and the experiences, and we had a lovely tour group, but how did that rate the, the hike and then viewing Machu Picchu after the four days out of everything you've done? So, so first off, 
there were three groups as we were going through. Dale, if you know Dale, and I'm sure you do because you've been listening to it for a long time, he was the rabbit up front, <laughs> you know, paving the way for everybody else. Me, I was in the, in the far last group making sure that the last straggler was fine and that we weren't going to lose her. And then I became the last straggler. So overall, uh, fantastic experience. I, I, that's the way to go see Machu Picchu. Had I realized you could take a, a train and a bus to get to Machu Picchu. Nobody told me that. I didn't do a lot of research, so I regret that. But the four days was absolutely fantastic. And I can tell you um, the reason why I think Dale and I bonded so much, because he just brought so much energy to the group, so much positivity to the group. Um, and I, I recall the first day out, Dale wanted to do some type of group. <laughs> what would you call it? Oh, it was a bit of an energizer, connection energizer. starter. Yeah. And the guys that were running the group were like, oh, I don't know, we got to go. They're looking at their watches. I'm thinking, let him go. And then on the third day, they're taping Dale <laughs> on what he's doing. We're all rocking around like, you know, rabbits and chickens and you know, lining up behind each other. So it was just, it was a, it was a great trip. Um, I'd highly recommend it. It's it's hard when you're going through it, but once you're done with it, it's it's not that big a deal. You can handle it. There's no time frame on it. You know, day two was a bit tough, but when you get up there and you see the stars and you know the Sherpas that work their butts off to, to do everything, they're the real heroes up there. Yeah. You know, we're just on a glamping type tour, so it's heaps of fun. Yeah, it is, and I suppose one of the great things about traveling is that the connections you make, and I suppose normal traveling guys that. You may not be able to walk with someone for four days or camp with them, so you don't really get to know them as well. And I think that was one of the beautiful things about the the tour. Now you get some poor tour groups, and I suppose it's like in business or sports teams or anywhere that sometimes you don't gel. But on ours we did, and we had a really nice group, and, and we got along really well. And I suppose that's why today I wanted to get you on here to because mate, you've been extremely successful in business, and you're very good at what you do. So. Um, you've, you've helped me out a lot and I know we've had a lot of mentoring sessions and stuff and I wanted to share some of that knowledge and wisdom that you've given me since meeting um, with the group. So let's, before we get into all of that, let's paint the picture of your upbringing, mate. What was, what was that like in America? Yep. So I um, grew up in Detroit, Michigan, uh, actually in Warren, which is um, eight mile separates Detroit from Warren. Eminem. If, if you know Eminem, he's Eight Mile if you've seen the movie. So I was on the, the other side of Eight Mile, which is the suburbs. Warren, really nice city. And then Detroit was uh, on the other side of, of Eight Mile, which is where Eminem you know, grew into his fame. So grew up there, uh, middle-class family, two older sisters, um, very supportive uh, uh, mother, father, uh, enjoyed that. Um, always active in athletics. And a lot of what I do in business, I relate back to athletics. So when I talk to, eventually we'll, we'll talk about how I want to work with students and, and kids in their 20s, is to relate business to, to sports. I think there's always really good analogies in that with leadership and the like. So grew up uh, kind of a middle-class family, uh, went to, to, to high school in Warren, uh, always playing sports, always out. Um, Parents very supportive of all that. Then uh, when it came to college, from, in my view, it was, it was I needed to go to college. There wasn't, uh, am I going to or not? It's like, of course I'm going to. That being said, I was the only person in my family to have ever gotten a college degree. Okay. So that's, parent, pre that's pretty, you would have been pretty uh, proud of that. Yeah, yeah. I think, but not in the moment. You know, it's, it's yeah. while you're going through something, you're, you're going to be proud when it's done. But once you've achieved it, you're kind of like, ah. You know, that was no big deal. And that's that's an interesting point to maybe bring up to the younger people is be proud of yourself. Mm, now, I, I talk about this a lot, guys, because um, I've always done the same thing that I'll just next thing. Don't be proud. You've got to, you're not you're not there. You're going to keep going. But you do need to celebrate those wins, don't you? Right. 
How, how, do you do that now? Do you celebrate? We'll get back to your story, but do you allow yourself, if you do something well, to celebrate it and be proud of it? Not, not brush it aside. Uh, probably not as much as I should, yeah. but good advice for me and everybody else. Um, so, you know, growing up, uh, going to college, it was just a foregone conclusion. So I went to a really, really good community college, and then I went to a secondary business college. Lived at home uh, through school, worked full-time, school full-time. So that's kind of been my mantra. I've always work worked. Yeah, yep. work hard uh, um, and study hard. So I found that was very productive years because the more you have on, the more you have to uh, segment your life. You have to plan for certain things. Which management. Is a, which is always good advice. And they, they did a study at the University of Michigan where the athletes... Uh, as an example, were more productive and their grades were better during the season than after the season. Because they didn't have much time. And that's that right. fit two sort of jobs into one. That's right. Mm. So I remember getting all my itineraries and, and syllabus and figuring out when I'd map it out for three months and figure out when it's going to be a good week and ask for that time off. So um, went there, uh, graduated uh, from Walsh College, you know, fantastic business college, truly loved it. And then I decided I didn't want to stay in Detroit. So uh, when was I, that was that hard to leave somewhere that you probably well you hadn't lived anywhere else. You know you, you hadn't moved out of home. Was was that a hard decision? I don't think so. Um, ironically, I, I kind of wanted to leave. A good friend of mine moved to Las Vegas, and I was like, well, I'm just going to move out there. And it was April second, nineteen ninety. Um, I filled up my Honda CRX. It sat on the side of the house because all my valuables were in there. Everything I owned was <laughs> in, in your there. Car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think I left at two in the morning because I'm an early morning guy. And I remember my mom being up and you know giving me a hug goodbye. Just brought tears to my eyes. Like, hey, I'm leaving. I can't believe I am. And uh, so I head out on the road. You know, across the country. Landed up in Vegas in 1990. Um, got odds and ends jobs. One of the things I'm a big advocate of is volunteering. I don't know how much. So yeah, yeah. So when you talk about volunteering, that's yeah. getting experience. It's not doing just things for free. You, you volunteer in things that are going to develop you. Is that sort of what you recommend? A couple of things. When when you volunteer, volunteer towards something that you like. So I give advice to students about volunteering. I love it on a CV when I read it, um, and I'm hiring kids. I want to know why you're volunteering. So I like the arts. Um, while I was in Detroit, I volunteered for the arts. So when I moved out to Las Vegas, I volunteered for Nevada Dance Theater, a professional ballet company. And I came in and just worked with them and did whatever it is that they needed to do and completely happy about that. I had a job and I would go and I built relationships. So volunteering in my mind is about, you know, doing something you're committed to and also building solid relationships with people right. around that, the that community. Key, that, that word there is relationships. And that, do you think that just flows? That's probably the number one. I, if someone said, what do you need to do well? Build relationships. And you feel, because you're volunteering, people are already like, oh, Gaz is doing such a good job. He's volunteering. They'd be more inclined to build those relationships with you. 100%, right? And it's all about people and relationships. People are looking at, uh, you know, AI and technology and all that stuff. But the, the value of connecting with somebody face-to-face, mm. -face, invaluable. That'll never go out of, out of style. Right, so to the point, I show up at Nevada Dance Theater when they want me to, I do things and I'm volunteering, so guess what? Their controller position comes available, right? I was making $5 an hour, um, and this job was about 18,000 a year, so a significantly higher bump. They didn't advertise the job, they said, Gary, you're, you're a, a, a finance person, can you do the job? I was like, yeah, so they gave me the job. Be I, had they put that out, I never would have gotten the job. Because he didn't have the experience. No experience. He's a young kid. But they kept seeing me. 
And they recognize like, oh, he's a good guy. We like him. Hard worker. He, he shows up. He's mm. working for free. Um, so I got that job. So really key piece of advice. That's there. a massive. That's a massive thing you just said there that you and and because you weren't doing it to get a job. You know, you were just generally there because you wanted to learn, you wanted to build connections, and wanted to build relationships, and you were interested in it. And because you did that, showed up each day, there was a job, and they wanted you to do the job because you'd done the other one so well. Yep. Absolutely loved it. Loved working with the dancers, understood the business, the general manager and I got along, the artistic director and I got along. So um, kind of fast forward a little bit, Vegas wasn't the place for me. Because I'm still trying to discover myself. I'm 23, 24. What was it like living in Vegas? Sorry to interrupt you there, guys. Because I've been to Vegas. I don't know if I could live there. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's the Strip, which is about two and a half miles long. And then there's heaps of suburbs. So if you think about what Vegas is, there's more hotel rooms in Vegas on that two and a half miles in most cities in America. Mm, yeah. But you need people to... Um, you know, service the rooms, to provide uh, meals, to be bartenders, dealers. So you have this infrastructure that's built and this economy that's built where you need people, you know, to fill those jobs. I think for every hotel room, you need one employee. So the MGM is 4,000 rooms. So you need one employee. That's just a barometer, right? So you just need all these employees to do, to do that. So out of the strip, you know, you got suburbs, it's normal life. But the when you go of, in there, it's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Mm. And you could just go get that hit of adrenaline and you got to get the heck out <laughs> because you can't stay there for more than three days. Otherwise, it's just, you know, uh, you no know, sleep and everything else. But yeah, you just manage it. Yeah, crazy so, joy. So obviously Vegas, then what, what happened next? So Vegas and then uh, here's, here's what I did. And today's world is a bit different. So I wanted to go to, uh, to L.A. I had friends there um, not knowing who I am. I said, whatever it is that I want to do, I can find help there. I could find a good mentor there. I could find a coach there. I can find a university. I can find something. So I got a book. I got the 250 um, entertainment companies. So, and this is back in 1991. So I No said, Google back then, mate. No Google. <laughs> so I got a list. Um, I created literally uh, 500 resumes, uh, CVs. And I sent 250 to a generic HR person and then 250 to the highest person in the company. So I had to print out 500 resumes, stuff them, mail them, stamp them. So I, I think I staggered them. You know, so I sent out the 250 and then I sent out the next 250 um, maybe a week later. So it would hit them. So I moved out to, um, and this is me trying to get a job. So you did this before you left? Right. Yeah, well that's, that's good advice. Because yep. a lot of people try and get a job these days before they go somewhere. Yep. And then I went to follow it up. Yep. So here's my mistake, and, and, and pay attention to this because you gotta prioritize what you're doing. So I went, I printed out the list of everybody I sent it to in alphabetical order. Not good. I should have sent it out in the priority of the jobs that I wanted to get. Yes. So I get there, I start calling from the top of the list. Guess what my first job was? I've got no, I've got no idea. American First Run Studios, because it started with an A. So I started. So at least you got the top. I said, well, I started <laughs> the top of the list, and I, I just started calling everybody, and they said, well, we have a receptionist job open, and uh, you know, we don't know if uh, you know if you're going to fit. I went in for an interview, like we don't know. I said, look, here's what I'll do. I'll come in. I'll work for a week for free, and it was 350 bucks a week. I'll work for a week for free. If you don't like me, don't pay me. I've got to go to Vegas this weekend to go pick up some more stuff, um, but it's okay. Um, totally up to you. So they called me in on Friday. They gave me a, a check. They're like, here, here's your 350. Why don't you come back on Monday? I said, brilliant. So I was a receptionist. I had a college degree. 
right? I moved out from Detroit and I'm a receptionist at American First Run Studios, you know, answering the phones and working with the people. It was great because I needed a job. And the other thing, I moved in with friends of mine in Hollywood and I lived on the floor in Hollywood, um, in the living room. They, it was a two bedroom, they each had a bedroom, so I lived on the floor. It was not the nicest place. Hollywood is a bit glamorous, um, but this place wasn't. It was right by Hollywood <laughs> High School. So. Not when you're a receptionist living on the floor. Yeah, because <laughs> I didn't want to spend money. I went to the Dollar Theater around the corner, but yeah, I, I was living on like about 40 bucks a week, uh, 40 US dollars, so that had to get me through. Uh, the entire week, which it did. Yeah, so, yeah, nice. uh, yeah, so it was great. And then that's kind of where things took off. So reflecting back on that list of 250 companies, I now distilled it down to 25 that I really wanted to be with. So I kept sending them resumes. So once, once you had your job though, that's the case. You had money coming in yep. and I, I can imagine that you probably couldn't see yourself being a receptionist the rest of your life. Right. So you'd, you'd narrowed it down now and figured out, right, I've been able to get one from the top of the list. That's worked well. Yep. Now let's pigeonhole where I really want to be. Well, it wasn't the top of the list. It was alphabetically yeah, the top of the list. Yeah, that's what I mean. But that was, a, that was the top of your list from what you right. said. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, um, yep, so I'm fine. Now I'm targeting the next 25. So I would write a cover letter and I would send another uh, CV with it and I would address it and I would keep it going like once, once a month. And in the cover letter, it's like, here's what I'm doing, you know, these types of things. So I get a call from uh, a woman, she's representing Soundtrack Studios. Now Soundtrack Studios wasn't in my list of companies, but she worked for Aaron Spelling. If you know 90210, back in the day is very popular, but Aaron Spelling was one of my companies. Well, she was an HR person and she kept seeing my stuff come in. She's ah, like, you're persistent. Good. I was like, yes. Yeah. So that's a skill. Right. Mm. Right. Persistence mm. is, is probably one of the keys for, for business, you know, and, and not taking no for an answer, but listening and, and understanding why it's a no. So, um, so, so she had it. She's like, we have a job here at Soundtrack Studios and uh, the controller. And I think at this time I was making 350 a week, which I don't know, it's like 15,000 a year, 18,000 a year. I'm not sure. Uh, you can do the math for those that plan at home. Um, <laughs> so uh, she calls up and, and says, hey, you want to meet the owner? So it's one owner. He and I hit it off. This guy named Jeremy. Um, it was probably a 32 person. It was post-production sound. So they would take uh, a show in and add um, Foley. They would add footsteps to it. They'd add sound effects okay. to it. They'd sit with directors and watch it on the screen and then add stuff. So that's what we did. So I was a one-man accounting group. And I think I started off making 27000 and I got up to about 45000 uh, US dollars. So it was a persistence of me sending uh, CVs to those top 25 and that trickling down. So I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. You know, make a decent money. I like the job. You know, now it's it's good. So then I moved out. I got my own room in Burbank. Right and a next bed. To, and a bed. Well done, yeah. mate. That's Go a great figure. achievement. Yeah. <laughs> Pillow. Yeah, couldn't have been happier. Uh, sleeping on the floor is not not fun, but you know what? It, it, uh, it gives you character, right? To say the least. So um, did that and then decided I need to be a CPA. So went to school. Um, it worked uh, full time and then you know there was class probably Monday and Wednesday and I studied every single day for the CPA exam. Um, if anybody's taken the CPA exam, it's, they only give it twice a year and this was in, in, in May. So I started in January and literally I was studying every single day. I was doing something to progress. So um, fast forward, I passed uh, being a CPA. Then to be a, to be a true CPA, you need to work for a, a CPA firm. So what did Gary do? referring to myself in the third person, I got a list <laughs> of the top 50 CPA firms in California. And 
on the list was Weil and Company. So I sent them my CV. I had a few interviews and they're like, hey, we want to bring you in. Uh, like I said, I was making 45,000. They said the salary is 27. I was like, okay. And at that point I said, I'm never going to make less money in my life because I've been taking, uh, I'm taking a big setback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the money, money in my career is, it's important, but it's not the driving factor. Okay. And you know, in your life, you know, if you're listening, if you're, if money is a driving factor, that's fantastic. You know, if that's where you want to go and that's what you want to do, you can certainly achieve it. it it's never been mine. Cool. Mine has been satisfaction and getting a good experience. So I started with Weil and Company and um, there learned a lot. I went through two tax seasons, absolutely loved it, um, worked my butt off um, at least 11 hours a day. So if you worked 11 hours, they pay for dinner. They give okay. you an allowance for dinner. So I worked 11 hours, 11 hours every day, <laughs> minimum. And we had to bill our time in 0.3 increments, which is uh, 0.1 increments, which is six minutes. So every six minutes I had to account for my time on a timesheet. So you just couldn't BS about it. So I worked two tax seasons. And then um, I think one of my proudest accomplishments at this point in my life, because I was probably about 30 years old. Now just reflect on what's happened to me in my 20s. Not any big grand thing has happened to me. I moved out to Vegas. Persistence. I was persistent. Mm. I didn't have this great job. I didn't have a shiny job. Mm. I kind of did what I needed to do to survive. I, I, 20s, I, I couldn't have been happier. Yeah, but um, I think also, like you reckon there's no big achievement, but you've also worked with so many different people, so many different industries. You've lived in different places. So every one of those jobs, you're becoming a better person. You're becoming more understanding. You know, you're actually, as long as you don't, you're not thinking about, I'm getting, a, I'm getting promotions, I'm working my way up, yeah. you're developing as a person. Yeah. And those skills are probably skills that you still have today that help you, you know, be able to talk so well, be persistent, listen, all these skills that are very crucial for what you do. Mm-hmm. So character building, I reckon. Yeah, and- 100%. That's probably, if, you, if I just get back that two minutes of ramble, character building, you're doing a lot of it. Right. Mm. So I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself, just kind of went along. Logically, I thought about the next thing because one of my key aspects of, of what I believe in is life is very much a pull and not a push. So in my life, in my career, I've been pulled to various places. If you think about Nevada Dance Theater, I was pulled into that job. Yes, I was volunteering, but had I tried to push my way into the job when they advertise it, I probably wouldn't have gotten mm. it. I created the pull because they kept seeing me and it was easy to pull me in the job. Good point. And there's yeah. other references you know, throughout my life where people have pulled me up. So if you're one of these people that, that's a pusher and you push your way into things where maybe you're not wanted or needed, it's going to be a bit of a struggle in mm. my opinion. But you, you've still got to be put yourself in the position to get pulled. That's right. Yeah, like you, you, that just doesn't happen. That's a key aspect. Yeah. So... Um, and, and, and I'll give uh, other examples of that probably as we move forward. So um, with where we were at um, in L.A., I got a job with Arthur Anderson. So I was working for Wild & Company, two tax seasons. Arthur Anderson at the time, there were, there were six big accounting firms, and Arthur Anderson was one of them. If you know Enron in December 2001, that's when you know Enron and the Arthur Anderson audit brought down all of Arthur Anderson. We were a global company, 88,000 people. So it was terrible. Um, but, but I started with... Arthur Anderson in 1997, fantastic, absolutely love it. They were a big professional firm. I was like, I'm working for Arthur Anderson. This is unreal. I, I was just, I, I don't know that I've ever been prouder of myself uh, at that That's point good. in time. Yeah, and I remember talking to my dad all the time about that, and it's just like, I'm working for Arthur Anderson. This is just, and I was 30, 31, so I'm not a 23-year-old that maybe did all the right things, took it for granted, but 
you know, I, I reached it. And once you reach a goal or a milestone, it didn't, doesn't matter if it took you two years to get there, three years, four years. Once you reach you got it, it, you've got it. Mm. And nobody will take it away from you. So um, unless they're indicted and the whole company goes, <laughs> then they'll take it away from you. But that's, kind of, that's besides the point. Otherwise, I'd still be working there. I'm a very loyal guy. So at that point, I think that was probably my, one of my biggest achievements. Now, you could say, well, you moved away from home, you know, and you moved out to L.A., you know, all, all this other stuff. So, but in my mind, working for other innocent was massive. And absolutely love that. So one of the biggest pulls, and the reason why I've, I've developed kind of a, a push-pull mentality is I had a partner um, that went out of her way to pull me up, to pull me on a job, to get me promoted. She would come to me and say, hey, I want to make you manager. It's like, I'm not ready to be manager. And I was just like, yes, you are. You're just as good as anybody else, and I like you. And, and I, I'm trying to reflect on why. And, and I think what I had is, is the attitude. And if I were giving advice to people, it's... It's the attitude, it's the willingness. I'm an early morning person. I was at my desk every day at 7 a.m. with the Wall Street Journal, having worked out. So I lived in Manhattan Beach. It, I, we, our offices were downtown LA. I would wake up at 4.45 to get to the gym by 5.30. I'd have everything packed in the gym, all my clothes. Um, I'd get on, put on my workout gear. So I had nine things that I had to pack with shirt and tie and jacket and you know, belt and all that stuff. Go exercise, take a shower at my desk at 7 a.m. Every so, day? Every day, yep. just it's just what I've been doing. Even now, when I reflect my time in China, every day is seven a.m. Reflect my time here, every day is seven a.m. That's just what I do. So consistency. Again, it comes back to that. It's like exactly the same for your resumes. You know, yep. that that was it. You're consistent. That ongoing, and that's how you got that first job. And now the same is you set those standards by being there at seven. Not not to prove a point to anybody else, but that's the standard for yourself. That you yep. set yourself in that high esteem. I love a routine. Yep. I absolutely a routine gives me a lot of comfort. It gives me a lot of confidence. So just the uh, story about um, just the attitude was uh, my partner would call me up and you know she says to me, uh, Gary, are you in the office? I'm like, it's 7.05, of course I'm in the office. Like, okay, good. I'm coming to the office, I've got a call at 7.30. Can you run downstairs and get me a coffee and a muffin? I'm like, yeah, what kind of muffin? Uh, I don't know, I don't care, just give me a muffin. So I run down, get her a muffin, it's on her desk, right when she walks in. Now some might say, hey, you're working for Arthur Anderson. It's like, I'm not a coffee runner. You know, I'm not going to go down and get a muffin. It didn't matter. If she asked me to, to vacuum the office, <laughs> I would vacuum the office. It just didn't matter. Why? Because she held my career in her hands, and I'm willing to do whatever she wants me to do. So, you know, she's not going to take advantage of me. However, um, you know, I just had the right attitude. And I think the, the success that, I, that I've seen in, in my life and career has been all about a positive attitude, about listening to something, having a willingness to do whatever it is that this person wanted me to do. Why? Because I respect them, because they were a person of authority. Now, the people I was aligned with, I respected. There might have been other people that, that may not have had that same moral high ground that you know, this partner that I had did, and you would reflect on that. And you would try to understand if they asked you to do something that maybe wasn't uh, moral in your mind you might have an honest conversation with that person but invariably throughout my career i've always had people that have been above me that have pulled me into different places because i had a solid attitude mm. so and i know that obviously you mentioned a little bit before about finding mentors and coaches and things like that so obviously that lady that you were getting the coffee and the donuts and the bagels for whatever she would was she like a mentor or did you have you had other mentors along the way um, oh, she, she was, at the time, uh, utterly fantastic. You know, we would have, you know, I'd go visit her on the weekends with her family, and we just chit-chat about things, and, and, you know, we would just talk. But I just, I really respected her leadership style. 
Um, and one of the one of the things that that I try to do, Teddy Roosevelt said, "No one cares what you know until they know you care." Mm. Right. So. I've always found that very impactful because that's the leadership style that I want to have. So when I'm in China, work with the kids, I want them to know that I care. And in that culture, caring from an executive is probably not something that's as prevalent as you would hope. Mm. So I, I remember I had an office and there's probably 12, 12 offices. Mine was the only door that was always open. Every other door was shut because I tried to show that I care. I even had comments from my team. I was like, you need to stop giving compliments or telling people are doing well. Because I didn't know, what to, didn't know how to take it. Yeah, you gotta that's, tone down. Isn't that horrible though, that that's a culture that be, they think something's wrong if you give a compliment? Yeah, or they're telling me to taper it down. Yeah. So, but, but throughout um, uh, my career, I've always been pulled where I wanna go. Arthur Anderson was a great indication. You know, I reached heights. Uh, there that I never thought I could reach. I reached levels, you know, fortunately went down. Um, and then that's when my international career kind of kicked in. So uh, I went to work for the company I was consulting with, Samina SCI. So I left uh, Arthur Anderson in May 2002, started with Samina straight away. I got to go work in Glasgow. So I had to set up a shared service center in Glasgow, Scotland. And I remember calling my dad and he said, well, you've always wanted to work in Europe. And I was like, oh, yeah. So. The, the, key, the key learning there is put something out there. Put something out in the universe that yeah. you want to do. And, and you'll tell people. So tell. Then, it's, then it's real, not just in your head. 100%. Yeah. Too many people don't want to talk about certain things because they, they're going to jinx it. Well, they're scared of failing. The right. scare of failure today is through the roof. Yeah. People don't want to be vulnerable or they don't want to be judged. And unfortunately, the only person that's judging you is yourself. That's right. Everyone else is so busy doing what they're doing, Gaz, that no one would have ever known that you, your goal was to go to Glasgow because they wouldn't have cared. Yep. And that's not sounding harsh. Yeah. That's just reality, isn't it? Well, vulnerability is it's massive. It's, not, it's, it's putting yourself out there, but it's being honest with yourself. Because once you start talking and putting things out, it's going to happen. And you're going to formulate it. You know, I'm, I'm shifting careers now, and the more I talk about it, the more I learn more and more and more. Because mm. I learn when I talk. Uh, that's why I like uh, chatting with people. So, yeah, he said that that's what you wanted. You wanted to go to, to, to work global. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. So, you forgot about it, but you did. Yeah, and so I was there. I was in Glasgow for a year. I was in Singapore for a year uh, working. Um, and we'll probably talk a little bit later about the cultures there. But um, very interesting work in there. I was meant to set up something. The Glasgow experience was completely different from the Singapore experience. Uh, Singapore, my lesson learned about culture, I kind of went in there um, with the remit from the home office in San Jose with like, we need to put in a shared service center, we need to do this. I wasn't listening, I was being too directive, and in hindsight, it was, it was not a good situation. They didn't appreciate me being there, they didn't want me around, and I'm thinking, well, corporate sent me there, of mm. course, you have respect for them, so you should have respect for me, because I'm a conduit. But you didn't give them any respect. I didn't give them any respect, yeah. I didn't listen, I didn't understand what their culture was. So it was 10 months of, it was a bit tumultuous, it was a bit difficult. You know, they, I didn't feel like they were listening to me when in reality I was not listening <laughs> to them. It's the other way around. Right. <laughs> so you just learn from it and just reflecting, it's like, wow, that was, it was such a bad, um, a bad example of kind of what not to do. So you learn from that. But uh, I think one of the key attributes that a person can have in anything is listening. Um, your ability to connect with somebody and listen and really truly listen not as somebody's talking think about what you what story <laughs> you want to have like this ping pong that's going back and forth and nobody's listening they're just both talking so the advice I give to, to younger kids is 
to, to work on that skill, as, as you're talking to somebody, when they talk to you, think of a question to ask them back and think of another question and then start engaging in a conversation because why? Because in order to formulate a question, you need to listen to what they're telling you. And once you listen, then you're gonna have a logical question. Now you're gonna have a good open dialogue. Have you seen that, Dale? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So my big thing is that uh, you, can, you only learn by listening. You already know what you're gonna talk about, so you don't learn. So my big thing is I wanna learn something all the time. I wanna learn something about you, about where you've been, lessons you've got. If I'm talking, I'm not learning. So for me, and that, that was a really hard thing for me, guys, because I love talking, you know that, but now my thing is what can I learn? And I only learn through listening. So that's my thing, can I learn? Shut up, Dale, because you're talking. And so that's probably just directed more at me because I'm da-da-da-da-da, I keep talking, but it's exactly the same. So Dale used reference himself in the third person as well I just now. Took that so, off you, mate. There we go. So you have two ears, one mouth. Yeah. Use them commensurately, right? Correct. Listening is so powerful, and you're going to engage the person that you're with. So, um, so just uh, Glasgow, Singapore. Uh, didn't listen in Singapore. It was it was very rough uh, for me there. I found it a very difficult situation. And then um, I was looking for another opportunity, and a company called Equiterra, they're a boutique consulting firm that focuses in my competency, which is shared services, outsourced advisory. So went with them in uh, 2005, fantastic. Really great leaders, great people. Um, we got work done. I started traveling a bit more globally there. On 2011, KPMG acquired Equiterra, and I've been with KPMG uh, up until recently. And with KPMG, the, the story to get to China was uh, June 2012, and I was feeling a bit stale. Um, in America, in consulting, you're, you're on a plane every single week because um, I lived in Las Vegas at the time, coincidentally. Again. And it's yeah, not very back. glamorous, so on that plane every week, is it? It's tough. Yeah. So I fly on Sundays. Um, you know, you're meant to be back on Thursday nights, but you know, I, I got my own schedule. Sometimes I stay over the weekend. So I, I enjoyed it. I leveraged it. But I was getting a little stale on it. I was getting tired. I could, I could tell my attitude wasn't what it needed to be, and I needed to do something. So I talked to a few people, and this is uh, July 2012. I said, hey, I called the CEO of, uh, of Equiterra, former Equiterra. I said, do you need somebody in China? He's like, yeah. Within, when, when something happens and there's momentum around it, you know it's a good thing. I sent him an email. Two hours later, he's on the phone with me. He's like, okay, you're going to talk to this person, this person, this person, this person, and we're going to go. Because he, he barracked for me. So life is a pull, not a push, right? So I got pulled over there because the CEO of Equiterra, the things I had done at Equiterra, he appreciated. And he liked that I was a VP of finance. He pulled me in the back office through a, a tough time within Equiterra because I said I would do it. It's like, the CEO wants me to do it. I'm going to do it. Like, no, it's not good for my career. I want to be back in the field. And, you know, I, I took an internal role for probably about six months. And I didn't think twice about it. Why? Because the CEO said go. So now, fast forward to, hey, hey, Mark, I want to go to China. It's like, boom. Uh, here's who you're going to call. So in as much as you always have to raise your hand, and physically I'm raising my hand right now, you have to raise your hand to say, I want to do something, and then I got pulled over to China because the CEO of Equiterra said, "Ah, oh, Gary's a good guy. Yeah. You know, he's got a great attitude. He's going to go in there, roll up his sleeves, and get stuff done." So, had the interviews in, in January 2013. I'm in the middle of Shanghai, not speaking Mandarin, don't know a soul. I know <laughs> where my apartment is. Uh, it's a first apartment. I have not, you know, I don't have towels. I don't have anything. And so, kind of funny story. 
as the way over, I kind of took the blanket because I didn't think I'd have a blanket. <laughs> I thought you could roll into just a bare shell. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So I walked in there with a blanket. I think I even took that little pillow. Like, I need something. I can't just sleep on, I slept on the floor. It was a bed, but I didn't have anything. And it's China. I can't walk into a store. Everything's in Mandarin. You think, you know, you think people speak English. It's like, no, they don't. I was four blocks away from a great office. Loved it. But anybody I walked around, nobody spoke English. So how, how was that? Because I know obviously you spoke about living in Glasgow, Singapore, but they're quite well. Glasgow is obviously Westernized, and so is Singapore. Whereas China, it's China's China. You know, right. like it's that's a big awakening when you rock in and you're like, wow, what what have I walked into? How was that not speaking Mandarin? So I had gone there a couple of times, and you go to a nice hotel. So my friends <laughs> Carlton, and they speak English. So you're like, oh, of course, people speak English. Nah, they don't. The people at the nice hotel do. So it was really difficult you know google you can't use google because china doesn't like google so i had to figure out a way to navigate my way around and where to go and learn to speak i can tell you the first six months was just one of the one of the most difficult painful situations in my life it was really 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 hard just not being able to get around work was completely overwhelming meeting the team was overwhelming um the team was great eventually uh there was leadership changes that i didn't know about that were happening so that was another you know uh something to, 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 to kind of mess things up for me. But eventually I just kind of settled down on everything. You know, I got my group and, and one of the best pieces of advice, so I was there for four years totally. And I went back um, in December of 2013 and a really good friend of mine says to me, and I was so upset when he said it, he, you know, I see him, he's like, you look like shit. Yeah. He's like, you look terrible. I'm like, well, screw you. you know, I've been, and I got really defensive. And then I thought that was the best piece of advice. He's kind of like a father figure. There were, there were a couple people that I met that I, in volunteering, when I went to LA, I met people that are still friends in my life. They owned a ballet school, so I volunteered for them. And now they're still my friends. Yeah. They're salt of the earth. So I was like, you look terrible. And the first two years when I was in China, the, the, the country took me over. I wasn't in control of what I was doing. Not in a bad way. I wasn't doing terrible things, but I probably drank a little bit too much. You know, I'd get out. I went into the office every Saturday, and there were times when, you know, I'd get done at 1 o'clock, and I'd go to the bar because, you know what, that's when my weekend starts, and I'd stay there until 8, no dinner, no lunch, no nothing. You know, I'd wake so up. So just and, work and drink. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was terrible. It was just a, a survival mechanism. So um, cut to that, that good advice. I said, okay, so the second two years of China, I decided to take control of my life. And that's when they made me partner at the end of the second year. And I thought, I, I really, I was on a two-year succumb, and I wanted to come back. And I just thought, I can't. I can't come back. I've, I made partner status. You know, I got to stay there. And the second two years, I was just way more in control. And I guess the advice that I would have, it's recognition of what's happening to you and really value. What, what I did in the first two years, I pushed everybody out. I didn't, I didn't make a lot of phone calls home because I don't want to call and whinge to people. Big mistake, right? Never recommend that. The people in your life that love you always want to talk to you. So don't shut people out. Um, big advice from that. And, and talk to people. Even though you might feel like you're whinging, uh, that's okay, and, and they're going to want to help you. And that's the, that's the important bit is people want to help you with your life. They want to see you vulnerable. You know, they want to see when you can come in and, you know what, I, I really want to help Gary or send him a quick note or tell him I love him or yeah. give him a gift card. You know, you need to allow people in your life in, even if you're a, a, a really strong person and you think you don't need it, everybody needs it. They so do. just open yourself up. So I, I didn't do that. And and so so with that, because I, that... There's all these studies out at the moment, Gaz, that 
people feel lonely. They feel as connected as we are through technology, social media and things like that. People actually feel lonely and then they've got no close connections. They don't have those people that they can call on. So um, I think what you just said there is that even when times get tough, that's probably the, the most time to connect with these people because they're always going to be there for you unless you really block them out. So it sounds like after that two years making partner, you turned your life around. Yep. And I'm sure your experience in China was a lot better that second two years. Yeah, night and day. I mean, I just knew what I was doing. I was conscious of where I was going. I drank less. I barely drank at all. I would almost not want to go out and drink. There were a lot of social events with China. And, and China, the culture, uh, it's very hierarchical, uh, as you would imagine. Um, I tried to break that down as best I could. I had a team of about 65 people that I was looking after. Um, and just try to really connect with them and just be a good team player, have good character, you know, and, and that Teddy Roosevelt, that quote, you know, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. That's really what I tried to impart and say, you know, what, I really care about you and your career and I want to see you go forward. And I've always kind of put what happens in partnerships and is you get partners and they're all different types of characters. Anybody can be a partner and they can have any different style. And a lot of partners you see when they get pressure on numbers, because you get heaps of pressure as a partner. You know, you have margins you have to do, uh, you have to sell more jobs, you have to get the revenue up, you gotta hire the right people, you gotta keep everybody staffed. You know, and you can't let that get to you. So I've always tried to put the people ahead of maybe the numbers and the metrics. And when somebody had a difficult situation, now take time off, go home, don't worry about the numbers. Other partners that I've seen haven't quite had that moral high ground. So again, when you, when you start looking at your life and your career, when you find a mentor or somebody above you, make sure that they have the same moral characteristics that you appreciate, mm. that you like, that align to who you are. I don't want to go political, but when I think of what's happening in the U.S. with the presidency, I don't align with his values, uh, with President Trump's values. I, I, I fundamentally don't. So you know, I'm not, not a big supporter. But and, and with you and your career, find those people that want to help you because they, they're out there. You know, and, and if you have somebody... Uh, a junior that comes up to me that wants advice, I clear everything off my table. And just quick story about um, Weil and Company. Uh, it was that uh, accounting firm that I worked for in Los yeah. Angeles to become a CPA. I would walk into any partner's office, and I'm 27, and I don't know stuff. Any partner, because there were six partners, any partner I would walk into, regardless of what they were doing, they would clear their desk and say, what's your problem, Gary? How can I help you? Full attention, present. Full, full attention, mm -hmm. they'd stare at me, I'm like, you know, they, they have to be busy, but they knew, they're smart enough to know if I'm hung up on something, it's going to affect them. It's going to affect them and mm. everything else. So I really valued that. I was just awestruck. And I always took that with me in my career. When anybody comes up to me, I, I clear my desk and I say, what do you want? You know, I'm, I'm going to be fully engaged with you and I want to listen to you. I think, I think that's great advice in any, any area though, because how often are you talking to somebody and they might be looking at their phone, they might be typing or they might be doing something else. That is not fully present in the moment, giving you attention that you deserve. And I, I think that's something that we can all really do now, that just, all right, clear everything, even if you need to do that with your hands like you're just doing. Mm. But that is a way to align and give that person your attention because they deserve it. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. You're wasting each other's time. 100%. And what the, the, the theme, and I talked about it earlier, what younger kids are looking at, they'll ask, should I learn AI? Should I do this? Like, no. No, connect with people. Build solid relationships now. If you're at uni, go onto LinkedIn, build relationships, go have conversations. The beauty of Melbourne, and so lucky here is everybody, anybody can have a coffee with anybody else. 
and you get you do get that engagement here and that's what I really value about the city is I can go have a coffee with anybody anybody can have a coffee with me and just ring me up it's like okay where do you want to go and it's, it's a half hour and you are engaged mm. and nobody's looking at you but yeah be conscious of that in your behavior and then people above you to make sure that they're giving you the attention that you need mm, I really like that so uh, mate you've given out so many wisdom bombs here so if I could you know for people listening that are in a career, want a career, want to develop their career further, what what do you reckon maybe the top three uh, areas to focus on? And I know you've mentioned probably five or six, yep. but if you could tell somebody just for the next, I don't know, month to focus hard on these three things, what would that be? First and foremost, build relationships. Go start building relationships with people. Go seek advice uh, from people. A lot of uni, uni students want a job. If you want a job, you seek advice and you'll get a job. If you seek a job, you'll get advice. So reach out to people, build those solid connections. Um, listening is always massive, but more important to that to the junior is understanding who you are. Easy sentence, very difficult to understand. Be realistic with yourself. Who who are you? What do you like? What do you don't like? A good piece of advice I would have is ask the the people around you how they perceive you, what they see in you, what are your key characteristics, and you'll be blown away with how other people see you. And I reflect on asking my sisters to reflect on me and they think I'm a totally different person. There's this really super nice guy. So <laughs> that's not me. You know? So I think that's very powerful. If, if you in your 20s can figure out who you are, right? And go get advice. The other big advice that I have is get feedback. Get feedback on your performance. When you open yourself up to be vulnerable, we talked about it a couple mm, times, yeah. you're gonna get information. Now the first time, you know, if I'm with Dale and say, hey Dale, give me feedback on something, he may be really nice about it and call me legend 15 times. But, <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's probably gonna give me honest feedback, but somebody else, it may take time to break down that barrier. But when you open yourself up for feedback, you're opening yourself up for negative. So if, reflect on, if, if you're at your job and your boss says, hey, you know, um, Dale, I, I, we need to talk. Or your partner says, "Hey, we need to talk." What is your Where does yes. your mind go? Straight away, it's and uh, this would be anybody. I still get it now. Oh, I'm in trouble. I've done something wrong. They don't want me. Right. It's a it's a rejection. That's right. And but how do you change that to be a positive? But if you walk up and say, you know, hey, uh, I, I want your feedback. I value your feedback. You'll bust down the barrier because all too often, and what I've seen is people are are reticent to give you constructive criticism, to give you honest feedback. If you're not doing a job. You should be told. And I think that's what I've done in my career. I've brought people into my office and said, hey, look, I think you're good here. You really need to improve on this stuff. And people completely respect that. Um, it's, it's invaluable. So when you open yourself up to feedback, you're opening yourself up to, to just a whole different perspective of how somebody else sees you. You might get a lot of positive things, but hopefully you know, you'll get honest feedback. And if you're really not doing something, whether it's your boss or somebody else or your partner, to say, hey, Give me some feedback, you know, how are we doing here? Because you don't want it to explode. And we've all been in relationships and there comes a boiling point where it's like somebody just blows up and just because you left the cap off, you know, you know, the soda in the fridge, that's not what the real point is. And yeah, then you get down else. to it. Yeah, mm. so you got to kind of diffuse it, but it can only help you. So I guess to sum summarize, listen, right? Um, get feedback, build relationships. Mm. Those are the big things. And none of them are technical based. Yeah. Right, none of them are, you know, really learn this uh, new technology, really learn this platform. None of them are. It's building connections with people. Why? Because people will pull you in a direction that you want to go. Wow, powerful. And, and guys, those three things you've just mentioned aren't just for business. 
I think that's for everyday life. Yep. That's for relationships. That's for if you're in a sports team. That's for in your community. Anything like that. If you can do those three things yeah. you just mentioned really well, you're going to go better than what you probably are. I was just in a coffee shop this morning. I asked for feedback from the server. I was like, hey, give me some feedback on was I a good customer or not? <laughs> What'd they say? I'm just kidding. Of course. <laughs> you're going to say something good uh, <laughs> now feedback, feedback and, and the more I think about it the more powerful it is yeah uh, and you'll you'll get blown away with positive uh, comments about yourself and it could be an email so use somebody in your life to send an email it's like hey I'm working with a coach and they want to know how you perceive me in these areas so just give me a couple bullet points or let's get on a phone call you know because uh, people really don't want to give the honest feedback and they find it difficult so just you go. Yeah, no, no, they do. And that's, I think that's a really good point that you mentioned. Do it over the phone because sometimes as well, face-to-face, they feel threatened. Yeah. Over email, they, yeah. I, I think sometimes they just type in whatever. But yeah. over the phone, you can probably start a conversation and break that barrier down so then they feel comfortable to express, yeah. express how they really feel. So if you're an executive in a business, right, and you have to let somebody go, you probably feel bad because you haven't had a conversation with that person about maybe... Maybe their performance isn't up to snuff and it's complete sideways. And that's your fault. What you need to do is walk them along the way and say, hey, look, you're really not performing here. So that when you do have to have that honest conversation, like they need to exit the company, it's transparent and they know. Um, And I've done that. This just recently happened at KPMG. I had a very honest conversation with a colleague and it didn't go well, but I got feedback from six other people and I gave him the the feedback and, and I said, here's how we can work on this together. He found another job. Because he saw the writing on the wall, he just wasn't comfortable. Yeah. So that's fine, but that served its purpose. Why? Because I went, I did, I talked to six people, I got the common themes, and I gave that honest feedback in a very nice, calm manner. Not, you know, you need to do this better. And then yeah. I offered, here's how we can get you up. You know, here's here's how we, we can make you successful here. Because we haven't written them, written this person off. So um, I thought that was a, a good outcome to a situation. Yeah, and, and again, I think it's the way you handled it as well. People, if you go in somewhere threatening or really aggressive, then straight away you've already created a worse situation than what you started with. So, yeah. So one piece of like a soft way to do that is to ask the person to assess their own. Mm. their own uh, Throw work. the ball back in their court. Throw the ball back in there. And if there's a one to five scale on certain things, what I, what I do is like, Here, Dale, you fill this out on you. I'll fill it out. Now, if you think you're a five and I think you're a one, we're going to talk about it. If we both think you're a three, we're on the same page. Mm. Like, why do you think you're a five? Why do I think you're a one? Well, this is, and then you get it all out in the open and you open up that communication channel. And you're like, oh, I thought you wanted that. It's like, no, I wanted this. So one quick example uh, in China. So the culture, um, as an executive, the team is meant to kind of keep you out, out of the, the detailed work. I want to be in the detailed work. So what happened in China, I would be talking to my team saying, no, I want to see this, I want to see that. They were giving me the stiff arm, the don't argue, the Dusty Martin don't argue, (laughs) right? I said, no, Gary, stay out. And I was frustrated because I want in and they're trying to keep me out. So both of us were frustrated because we were both counter Doing the opposite the the other wanted to, yeah. Yeah. In reality, I should have just, you know, had the conversation and say, hey, look, I, I really want to be in the detail. But in reality, they didn't want me in the detail because they didn't want to be overseen or look at their, their work. But I just want to help them. So it was a, a good a mis- a misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. And so, sometimes, and I think that, I think people get that these days with emails and so forth, that people don't understand the tone or that they go back and forth and waste so much time. Whereas pick up the phone, go have a coffee, like you just said. Perfect. My, my, my advice on emails, if you send an email and it comes back, 
don't send another one back. Get on the phone, pick it up. Bang. Do not do this email back and forth because they can't read your tone. You're talking over each other. It's going to be a complete waste of time. Yeah. But when you talk to them, and and the other piece of advice I have in, in the world is don't make enemies. You know, in, in consulting as a partner, uh, um, you're going to have a lot of different partners that you're not going to agree with. But you always work your way because you're going to have to work with them at some point. It'll come around back to you. If you create an enemy, that enemy will keep popping themselves oh, up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so work your way. Just rise above it. And I guess in China, what happened to me that I, that I can be fairly proud of is I didn't let them drag me down. Some people were trying to drag me down. And I never let them drag me. I tried to stay above things, whether it's personnel hiring or revenue numbers or just some of the, the tactics that they were using. I was like, I, I always felt like I stayed above it. That's a nice sort of way to uh, you know finish your time there and be proud of what you've done. So let's fast forward now. Obviously, you've been in Melbourne for how long? Two and a half. Two and a half years, partner at KPMG, and you helped me out a lot, mate, and, you, and you're so good at what you've done. And I know people can hear that in your voice today from all your tips, your stories, and I'm a big believer of learning through stories, and I could listen to those all day because the lessons that you get from those stories are really profound. But now you're going on on your own venture and you found the thing that a lot of people, you know, search their whole life to find. What is that one thing that excites me? My purpose, my why? Um, and you found that. So what's next? I know there's a podcast coming up, which I'm really excited about, but what, what else? What can we expect in the future, guys? So what I want to do, um, heading back to the US, I need to create my own brand. So as I said, life is a pull, not a push. So as I think about that, I need to create something where a university is going to want to pull me in. And what I want to do is, is maybe focus on the 20s, the 20-year-olds, to help them define who they are, discover who they are. So what exactly that is, I'm not sure. However, um, Dale, thanks for introducing me to the podcast because I do think I want to create some type of podcast where I ask other successful leaders in business, you know, what's their key to success? What would they ask a younger you? What are you, what are you looking for out of people in your 20s? And try to draw that, you know, the, the common denominator of that for the kids. Work on assessment tools uh, for students. Uh, possibly work on coaching with people that are in companies. So I haven't quite articulated what it is. However, I am completely... Um, 100% focused on helping people in their 20s discover who they are and be be successful in their careers. And I got to create a pull. Mm -hmm. So when I create that pull of I've done X amount of podcasts, I've spoken with people, I've written this, I've created a blog, you know, I've done that. Then I can I can highlight that I've created this program. Consistency and reputation. Yeah. Exactly what you mentioned with the 500 resumes that you right. did at the start. And it's funny how everything you've mentioned is continued your life's continued it's developed but there's certain things that have always been there yeah. you know and that's that consistency reputation right and and not only for yourself but you hold yourself to that when you re mentioned reputation the most important thing that you have is your reputation you know um that's why you know you just see the social media and putting things out you see you know leaders going back 20 30 years and pulling things out that they did when they were in their 20s because of you know it's not even social media no. so you're putting stuff out on social media. Um, that's open to the world. It's open to the world. That's an open and, resume, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, and that's your character and that's who you are and you can't take it back because it's always out there. So just value your reputation and build your character. Mm. Um, um, 
as much as you can because in consulting specifically and in life you know if you get a bad reputation or you hit somebody sideways you know they, they can drag you down and it may or may not be fair and you know guess what life isn't fair no, you just not. have to be conscious of the things that you're doing and you don't want that target on your back wherever you go if that person really wants it they'll keep putting it there and tell the people and it really affects you so um guys just from me today mate um since meeting you in south america thank you so much for your friendship and everything you've done for me and helping me have business and um i know that uh, i really wanted to share a lot of the messages and stories and stuff you've helped me with in this podcast and um, i'm sure people listening would have got that so mate thank you very much and i can't wait to see the branding the podcast everything where it goes in the future buddy and thank you dale you're very uh um, contagious with your energy and everything else. If you ever spent time with Dale, you can't help but smile and have a good uh, good outlook on life. So I appreciate oh, your mate, time as well. Too kind. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Thanks.